return to you Hope is stirring Hearts are yearning for you We long for you Cause when we see you We find strength to face the day In your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises.
welcome to this Palm Sunday message, and it's recorded uh, in the church, aired first of all on Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, and then it's, of course, it's left on YouTube and people can watch it through the week, and so it'll be seen by others at various times. Anyway, I trust that the message today uh, will be of great spiritual benefit to you. We live, of course, in very uncertain times. We live in a time when people are trying to find their way, trying to navigate through this uh, pandemic and all the, that is implied by that. Um, some, of course, and maybe a whole lot of people are, that are listening are afraid, not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, in fact, really none of us do in terms of the length of the virus or how many people are affected by it or how many people die from it. So these are definitely very uncertain times. But it is Passion Week. It's the beginning of the time when we focus our attention on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Palm Sunday is the time when we remember what we refer to as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And some of the of the gospel writers, all four of them, record the triumphal entry. And some of them talk about the the palm branches and coats being laid on the on the ground for the the donkey that Jesus was riding to come into the city, and people were praising him and giving him great thanks. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about a very interesting part of that story that, quite frankly, I had never really considered until this past week when I was preparing this message. But starting tomorrow night, uh, which would be Monday, uh, this is considering this being Palm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday next week, there will be a message that is preached from, well, from right here in our church, uh, each one talking about the uh, the fact that of the events leading up to the death of Jesus. I'll be back speaking on Friday, uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning. But there are four other messages that are being shared and uh, by others. And so I encourage you to tune into those. They will be aired each night at 7 o'clock. So you can tune in and hear them for the first time at 7 o'clock on the consecutive nights of this week. Well... Uh, the passage I'm going to read from is John chapter 12, and he gives the briefest of accounts of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But it's filled with so much interesting uh, facts and, and, and things that happened after Jesus was uh, actually in the city. And so I'm going to uh, start by saying that there were four distinct kinds of people that you'll see in this account, and we'll talk about each one of them, and one in particular. Well, it starts this way. This is John chapter 12, verses 12 to 30, and these are, this is verses 12 to 15. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, that's the festival of Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. 
Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Well, the first group of people are these people who really had great respect and love for Jesus. They had, many of them had literally seen him, heard him, watched him perform miracles, but miracles, many of them uh, no doubt had received a miracle at the hands of Jesus. So they were excited. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's coming to the feast of Passover, the great Jewish feast. And, and, and they were ecstatic by this news. And so as he's coming into the city, they're waving their branches and shouting. And of the crowd, it would have been a sizable crowd, they, they were heard echoing down through the streets of Jerusalem, and it drew others to the group. And at the same time, of course, accompanying Jesus were his disciples. And his, it says this about, the, about them. This is in verse 16. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Well, didn't understand all what? Well, the things that they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and and uh, the fact that he would be coming on a, on the donkey and uh, or a donkey's colt, it was just a, a young donkey, and the disciples were trying to figure this out. How did this crowd know all this? How did they discern that this is the fulfillment of that prophecy? Anyway, they were a little bit confused. They didn't understand what was happening. And it says, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So they, they didn't understand what really had taken place until Jesus was glorified. Hmm, interesting. We're going to talk about what that means. In fact, actually, uh, just briefly, uh, just a few days later on Thursday, the, at the time of the uh, 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 where, we, where he also uh, had the Last Supper, he, he prayed this prayer in John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And he's, to, he's talking to his father. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so Jesus is talking about being glorified by the Father uh, with a glory that he knew before he came to this world as a man, born in Bethlehem's manger, just as a, a, a little child, entered into the womb of a virgin uh, and was born. And uh, But prior to this, he was the eternal God, equal with the Father and equal with Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he... He condescended. He, he was Emmanuel, God with us. He, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He took upon himself the form of man. So this was what we sometimes refer to as the incarnation. And so in, in doing so, he, was, he laid aside, the Bible said, all of the glory and the privilege that he had when he was in heaven with his father. And now he's saying, Dad, Father... Can I have it back? Will you give it back to me? And uh, 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 that was his prayer. So the, the glory of Jesus, the being glorified, has to do with the reason he came, 
his ultimate destiny and his fulfillment of the things that conditioned that destiny. And as we see, that, of course, was his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the descent of the Holy Spirit. All of that was entailed in this idea of being glorified. Glorify me with the glory that I once had. Now, the word glorify can mean praise, worship, to give a claim to, uh, to announce and to uh, give thanks and, and um, praise to. And so all of that is, is entailed in that. Now, the disciples were to come to understand, amazingly, they've been following Jesus, after his death and after his resurrection, just what had happened here on this Palm Sunday, on this time of the triumphal entry, when the crowd seemed to know what the disciples didn't. Well, back to the crowd. Now, this is verse 17 and 18. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. So part of this crowd had been present when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Well, that didn't happen every day. And they were totally amazed. Lazarus had been dead for three days and in a tomb. And he and, and, and miraculously, miraculously, Jesus just called him out of the tomb. And I don't know, I can't imagine the incredulity on the on the faces of the people or just how uh, amazing that would have been. But they knew it was Jesus that did this. They knew that Lazarus was dead. And so now that Jesus is coming into the city, they're even more ecstatic than the rest of the crowd, and they're spreading the word. This man who can raise people from the dead is coming to our city. He's He's actually coming in the gates, and you really need to know about this, and you really need to be a part of this amazing thing. And it went on to say, many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So there were the people that were present at the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and many who had heard of it. So now the crowd is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the third group is in verses 17 and 18. Uh, or sorry, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And this is so sad. Uh, these Pharisees, these religious leaders who were so blinded by their religious institution and by all of the requirements of their laws and religious structure, uh, they couldn't see past that into what was really happening. That Jesus, the Son of God, had come. The Messiah that they were waiting for was right in their presence. They knew about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, probably several of them had been there. They certainly knew about the miracles he performed and the things that he said. But why then be so filled with hatred, especially in the name of religion? Well, uh, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. In fact, Jesus, in many ways, came to rescue us from religion when that religion becomes the means to get to God. Religion is not the means to God. Jesus is. He's the one mediator, mediator between God and man. So Christianity is known as a, 
as one of the world's religions, but that's just a title that's put on it. Relationship is really what Christianity is all about. It's not so much organizational structure as it is knowing Jesus and living in community with people in church congregations, as well as connection with believers in Jesus all around the world. But our salvation doesn't come through the church we belong to. It comes through Christ and Christ alone. And and so these Pharisees sadly, sadly missed one of the greatest opportunities uh, that, uh, well, it's just uh, mind-boggling to think of the opportunity they forfeited as Jesus came to Jerusalem that day. Now the fourth group, and this is the group I'm going to focus upon because it's very unusual what happened here. Uh, in verses 20 to 23, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. So it says, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. So they said, Jesus, there's some Greeks that want to meet with you. Is that okay? What should we tell them? And Jesus gave them a very unusual answer, an answer that was quite extraordinary and so different what we remember or see in other passages of Scripture that was characteristic of him. Here's what he said. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So he never really answered the question. At least it didn't seem that way. Actually, it was an answer, but it wasn't an immediate answer for sure. Uh, and so these, so I, I don't know what uh, Andrew and Philip said to the Greeks, this group of Greek people that wanted to see him. They went back and said, well, um, uh, well, uh, Jesus said that uh, the time has come for him to be glorified. And they would, well, what does that mean? Is he going to see us or is he not going to see us? Well, apparently he's not going to see you, see you and the only explanation we have uh, is something that we're not really sure of ourselves, but he's going to be glorified. Because remember what it said earlier, they didn't understand what it meant for him to be glorified. So, well, it certainly was an unusual response. There's a story in the scriptures about a Syrophoenician woman who had a daughter who was possessed by the devil. So she was actually a Greek. And so here, and this woman comes to Jesus. And of course, in those days, men had more influence and were more predominant. They were seen as being a better position than women. And, and so Jesus ignores the man in the instance at the time of, of the triumphal entry, but earlier had given time to a Phoenician woman and, and just spoke his, his word and his da her daughter, who was laying possessed by the power of the devil, uh, laying on her bed, was healed instantly. And so the woman returned to her home and there she there and found her daughter no longer uh, under the control and influence of, of the devil, but um, perfectly normal. So 
and, and time and time again, all through the scriptures, all through the story, story of Jesus, the entire gospel narrative is about people coming to Jesus, bringing their sick, bringing those who were possessed of demons and those who were just, uh, well, just helpless and lost, whether they were rich or poor, men or women, or it didn't matter. He, he always welcomed people. So it seems so unusual that he just ignored these Greeks who wanted to see him. They wanted to see him. Well, who were these Greeks? What were they doing in Jerusalem? This was a Jewish celebration, but they had come uh, to worship at the festival. So in order to be able to worship at the festival, they would have had to have been proselytes. Now, a proselyte is a person from another religion. Actually, in the Old Testament, it's usually, the word is usually translated stranger, someone foreign to the, uh, to the Israeli community. So these, uh, and, and people could join. In fact, uh, there's an account in Ezra where it says in chapter 6, verse 1, the sons of Israel who returned from exile and all those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations. So these were not Jews. These, these would have been Gentiles. Uh, they had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land to join them to seek the Lord God of Israel. They ate the Passover. So here Ezra's talking about the exile where the nation of Israel was in Babylon. And now there was a de deliverance. But while they were in Babylon, they had influence. And people from uh, that nation and other nations wanted to know the God of Israel. They had apparently seen something about uh, this idea of one true God expressed or manifest in the children of Israel, and they wanted to join. So uh, if you go back into the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus, you find that if a, a proselyte or a stranger, somebody who was not born Israeli, uh, if they wanted to join the uh, the camp of Israel or the nation of Israel, they had to be circumcised. That was the only uh, requirement, and then they could be a part of. And so here, the these in Ezra, these Gentiles, if you will, they were and they had come to uh, Jerusalem for the festival, and no doubt were able to take in all of the celebration of the Passover. Uh, because they had accepted the Jewish faith. So why did Jesus reject them? It seemed like they had already been accepted by the Jews, so they already had faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, and from from the line of, of Jesus, that, uh, that whole lineage that brought him into this world, which was a Jewish lineage, and now they had become a part of this, why reject them? If anything, that would be even more reason to accept them. Well, uh, we can only, uh, well, I, I think there's an answer. We'll get to it later. But just to talk about Greek culture for a few minutes, the kind of culture that these Greek men would have come from. Uh, the Greeks were uh, lovers of knowledge, uh, they, they uh, loved philosophies, all kinds of philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. Um, they, they formulated their ideas about life and about God. 
and how we interact in the world. And so the, the Greeks were very curious about this. They served all kinds of gods. They were polytheists. Uh, they served the earth. And Paul talks about that uh, later in the book of Romans chapter 1. People worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So in seeing in creation uh, the obvious handiwork of God, they chose to worship the creation rather than the creator. And, and Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 1. Well, uh, th- these men would have come from uh, uh, all of that kind of, um, of thinking, of upbringing, of pursuit. And I, I think of Paul in, in, uh, when, he was, when he came before Greek philosophers in Athens. And uh, here's what he said in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. People of Athens, I, I see that in every way you are very religious. So the Athenians, which of course was a Greek city, uh, they were very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, so these would have been idols, they would have been uh, temples, they were, they were everywhere. He said, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. <laughs> and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. And then he went on to talk about Jesus and how that he is the one true God. And uh, he referred to this altar that they, in case they missed a God, or there may be some more, uh, uh, to the unknown God, just we'll worship him and we'll offer sacrifices there. We don't know who he is, but uh, just to cover all of our bases. So basically what they were saying in essence, as far as Paul was concerned, you really don't know what you're worshiping. You're, you're, what you have as a religion is not satisfying you. It's leaving you with this sense of there's something else, there's something more. And, and that can be true of people uh, in various religious settings, even, for sure, even in Christian settings. We can become part of a dogma or a practice or a tradition or becoming a member of a church or we were baptized or whatever, and yet we really don't have much more than what these uh, Greeks had, either the philosophers at the time when Paul talked to them or through the traditions of, uh, of Greek life. So, uh, so the, for these folks here at the Passover, at the time of Jesus in his triumphal entry, uh, it seems as though Judaism didn't satisfy them either. They had left their Greek thinking in order to become uh, part of the Jewish faith, which believed just in one God, one true God. And yet for some, for some reason, they're, they're, it's not satisfying either, uh, either. So they go to uh, Philip and Andrew and we want to see Jesus. Maybe he's got a new idea we haven't heard before. Maybe he's going to start a new religion. Uh, maybe he's got answers to questions that nobody else seems to, to answer. And it's sort of saying everything we've tried so far doesn't satisfy. We'd like to talk to him. Uh, maybe he's got uh, something to say that we haven't heard. Maybe he's got uh, some greatness. Uh, perhaps he's a revolutionary. He's a He's a statesman, a, a philosopher of, of greater renown than, than anyone we've ever heard of before or known. 
And, and so, so what we're leading up to in this story, and this is what Jesus is, why he is denying them. And, and that is to show to us that if you come to Jesus because you think he's a great man or uh, a man among men, you'll never really know him. If that's the premise of your approach to him, well, he's great. He, he's historical. He takes up more, more room in history uh, than any other figure. And so, so, he's a, so he's a great man, and I want to be connected with ideas that are um, associated with a, a great or perhaps even the greatest of men. Um, and of course, his teaching, it, he, he said so many profound things, and, uh, and so philosophers study what he said, and they compare it to other philosophies. And so you might think of Jesus as a great teacher. And, and, and so I want to learn more about what he said. I want to know how that influences my life. But if you come to Jesus because you believe that he's a great teacher and that's what you believe and that's all you believe, you'll never know him. You won't know him through his teaching. You won't know him because of his greatness. If you come to him because you uh, believe that he's the greatest statement, uh, uh, statesman, he's got political answers, and for sure we could use lots of those in these days, or a philosopher of, of, uh, of just tremendous uh, insight. If, you, if those are the reasons you come to Jesus, you'll never really know him. You'll know about him, but you won't really know him. So moving on, in verse 23, and I want to read this uh, this verse again, because uh, this is right after uh, the disciples, uh, Philip and Andrew, they come, come back to, to, the, to these Greeks, and they said um, to him, the, or Jesus said to tell them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So, um, my hour has come. The hour has come for something to happen. I'm going to be glorified. And in the prayer of Jesus a few days later, uh, we quoted from, I want, to, I want the glory that I had with you, Father, to be restored to me. And uh, we'll read about that in just a few minutes from now as we proceed. The hour has come. All throughout the story of Jesus, people would ask him about certain things or wanted to do certain things. And, and uh, in fact, his, his own mother, at the very first miracle that he performed way back in John chapter 2, the Gospel of John chapter 2, um, and it was, it was a perf- turning water into wine at a marriage ceremony or a marriage festivity. And... and the mother of Jesus uh, comes to him and says, they're out of wine. Do something. <laughs> and the, re- the response to Jesus was, uh, my hour has not yet come. Well, Mary for sure didn't know what that meant. Uh, do you mean he's going to wait until things get so desperate that people are starting to leave before he performs a miracle? Or uh, She really didn't know. So she just said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you go and do it. Really not sure, not sure what Jesus meant by his hour not coming. But here, the message to these Greeks through Philip and Andrew is, my hour has come. And then all through the, the gospel narrative, there's so many times he said, my time is not yet here. And so he was talking about a very important event that was to come, 
But now to, at the time of this uh, triumphal entry, he's announcing that time is here. The hour has come. Well, um, the uh, scripture goes on to say, very truly I say to you, and this is what, and, and this is in the context of his hour having come. I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so he gives this metaphor of a seed, and that's easily understandable. You take a little kernel, just a little seed, a kernel of grain, you drop it in the ground, you water it, you let the sun do its work, and that grows. And of course, there's many more seeds that come as a product of or the fruit of that of that one seed that died, but it had to die first. And so Jesus is talking about his glorification, this time of great greatness that's happening to him, and the fact that it's his hour, he's referring to it in the context of a seed that has to die, so he's talking about his death. And so in the midst of all of this, Jesus, great teacher, yes, great philosopher, maybe, uh, a man of great power and miracles, all of that is true. But none of those bring you to Jesus. The absolute necessity of what was happening at the beginning of the Passover through this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is this announcement that unless a seed is buried in the ground and, and dies. It will not bring forth fruit. And he was referring to his death. The absolute necessity of his death. His teaching can't save us. His greatness can't save us. His miracles can't save us. Only through his death are we saved. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we read, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So by virtue of the fact that he died, he is now glorified. So that by the grace of God, he may taste death for everyone. Well, um, this now brings us to the greater meaning of his death. His death really wasn't about himself so much as it is about us. For every human soul that will taste death, and the Bible tells us all of us, of course, will taste death. And the reason for that is because of something called sin, something that estranged us from our creator in the beginning, and that is called sin. So the soul that sins will die, the Bible tells us. So death passes upon all humankind because of sin. But Jesus, when he died, when he suffered death, he was crowned with glory and honor. And so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So his death, his resurrection, of course, his ascension, is all about him being glorified and the beneficiaries is humankind. Well, uh, 
verses 25 and verses 26. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what he's saying is, all right, whether you're a Greek, a Greek who trusts in all of the, the gods of, of the many gods of the polytheists, or you worship the earth, or you worship nature, uh, you see your God in nature. Well, yes, God is a, uh, nature is an evidence of God, but nature is not God. And, and so, if, if, or you, you pursue teaching or education or whatever your pursuits are, whether it be wealth or, or uh, politics or just anything that is of this world that is tainted by sin, uh, when you say, I, I, I don't like this life anymore, there's, it, it just leaves me empty. No matter what religion I try, it doesn't work. I just, it just really doesn't satisfy the deep longing of my spirit. And so Jesus said, if you love your life, if you hang on to those things that you know aren't working, you know aren't wrong, or, or are wrong, then you're going to lose your life. You're going to lose the potential that your life could have. You're not just talking about physical life. He's talking about eternal life. Then he goes on to say, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And so there is an invitation to a life that is different than the life that we experience in this world, the life like these Greek men had experienced. And and we're looking to see Jesus, wanted to see if there was something more. Well, there certainly is something more, and that something is really someone. It's Jesus. It's engaging him in such a way where you partner with him. You become his follower. You become a worshiper, a true worshiper of him. And so when you, when you uh, serve him, um, you will be honored by the Father. Now, when he's talking about honor, that's what glorification means. To be glorified. Jesus was honored and glorified by the Father through his death and resurrection. Well, he goes on to say this, verses 27 to 28. Now my soul is trouble and troubled, and what shall I say? So here's Jesus as he's, uh, he's very conscious of the crowd and of the noise and the acclaim and all that had happened with the palm branches and and uh, the shouts and people going around saying, this is the man who raised Lazarus from the dead. Come and see him. And, and all of this that was taking place, he's, uh, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Is that what I should say? There's a question mark in the Bible verse. Is that what I say? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So he's saying that my hour has now come. This is it. And my, my soul is troubled because of what's ahead. So, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. What was happening? What caused this, the soul of Jesus to be troubled? Well, something of the glory of God had been lost. Not that you can deplete God of his virtue or his personhood, but his creation, 
that which he had created, which was to be an expression of his glory, uh, had lost its glory. It, it had fallen away from what God had created in the beginning. And so as we go back in the Bible narrative, we come into the book of Genesis and there we see the entry of sin into the world and the pronouncement of judgment that came as a result of that, but also the pronouncement of favor that would come through the seed of a woman, a, a woman's human child that would come someday and that child was Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, but, but she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And in that capacity where Jesus took on himself the form of man and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross as the Bible describes it, in doing that, he was restoring that which the Father had created to its religion, original glory, in fact, even a greater glory, a glory that had been lost because of sin. And so the Father, in answering Jesus, says, uh, uh, I have glorified your name. I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. Father, will you glorify your name? I have done it. <laughs> and you're the one through whom I'm doing it. You're restoring what I've lost through the sin of mankind uh, back to me again. And I will glorify. I'm not done through what's going to happen this week. There's more to come. Anyway, uh, this is really quite amazing. And it says uh, in verse 29, the crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. So the crowd hears this, this voice. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, I don't know uh, if, if the crowd heard Jesus say that. I, I doesn't, I, his request, will you glorify your name? But they heard this voice coming from heaven, and it came like thunder. Well, I, I, I don't know what that would have been like. Here is this voice coming from heaven, the voice of the Father, saying, I have I've glorified my name and I will glorify it again. So they were uh, no doubt extremely impacted by what took place. And then Jesus turns to the crowd who had heard this and he said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Uh, so, the father is responding to Jesus, but really what he's doing is talking to the audience that's around Jesus. He's not really directing his thoughts to Jesus. And <laughs> he says this, and these, this is the last part of this text that I'm going to be talking about this morning. Um, this, this loud voice from heaven, well, Today we don't hear, at least most of us don't, I never have, heard a loud voice from heaven. Uh, however, we do hear, because the Holy Spirit has come, God speaking to us, God imparting his word to us, the Holy Scriptures becoming alive to us, and the voice of God uh, in, in sweet and wonderful communion 
uh, through prayer, just ministering to us and drawing uh, us to him. And so, and so we have this. It's, it's, it's absolutely an amazing thing. Uh, the, this voice is for your benefit, not mine, and it still is for our benefit. And then he goes on to say this. Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So two things about his death. One, the judgment of this world has come. The judgment on human sin. Um, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. The book of Revelation is full of the judgments of God. The judgments of God are all through history. The, the kinds of things that have happened uh, where God has had to say, that's enough, I have to, I have to intervene. And, and sometimes those judgments were very, very harsh. But now, in this hour, the judgment of the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future, has come. So on the cross that Jesus had to die on, our sins were paid, the price for our sins. Basically what Jesus did was take responsibility for my sins and for your sins. Now, he's been glorified. He wants you to know that. His death and resurrection brought about the glory of God to the earth. It, it was a restoration of a creation uh, that was lost and in so many respects still is lost. But it's a true pronouncement, the price for all sins, whether people have asked for them and received that forgiveness or haven't asked for forgiveness, the offer is there. The provision is there. What Jesus died, did when he died and the judgment of this world had come makes available to every person, whether we've received it or not, the wonder and the glory of the benefits of what Jesus did when he died. And then he says, the prince of this world is judged. And he's referring to Satan, the devil, who back in the garden brought temptation into the world and through then has continued to tempt and, and thwart and, and paralyze the world in so many ways. He operates in power. He's considered the prince of the power of this world. And it's, it's a spirit that the Bible says it works in children of disobedience. So the, the strength of the power of the devil is very real. Here's what Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15 says. Since the children have flesh and blood. Now, he's talking about humankind. Since we have flesh and blood. So he too, referring to Jesus, shared in their humanity. So Jesus became human. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So, wow, what a commentary on what Jesus did on the cross. What a commentary about that 
triumphant day when Jesus came in, all the praises were ascending to him. Uh, the, the voice that came from heaven, I have glorified it and let my name and I will glorify it again. And do you know how he does that? He receives the glory of what Jesus did on the cross. Every time someone says yes to Jesus and chooses to become his follower, just as Jesus said when he, if you're willing to lose your life and follow me, then you'll gain eternal life. And so the wonderful story of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means salvation. Salvation has come. And so Hosanna, salvation, Jesus, who's come in the name of the Lord. And, and, and so he has, and he, he's here. And he said, I will draw all men. Literally, he was meaning all nations, because prior to that, the, the people of God had been specifically the nation of Israel. Now it was all nations, uh, Jews, yes, but Greeks and every other nation. So these Greek men <laughs> who were slighted maybe by the fact that Jesus wouldn't talk to them, it was only just 50 or so days, well, maybe from this point it was 60 days or so uh, uh, away, but the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And these people were still there as a part of the of the celebrations that were taking place, the celebration of Pentecost. And many Greeks were there. In fact, 16 different languages that were part of Greek culture were spoken on the day of Pentecost. So very clearly, the answer that was not given when the Greeks asked at the time of the beginning of Passover was certainly asked or answered on the day of Pentecost. And it's still answered Today, it doesn't matter who you are, how old or young you are, how disenfranchised you might feel, rejected by people, or full of popularity and, and fame, or rich or poor. It doesn't matter who you are, disadvantaged or advantaged. He is drawing all people to himself. He draws you today and invites you to the cross. And to see that when he was lifted up, he was drawing you. When he was on that cross, you were on his mind. He thought of you. Though it's two millennia ago, he, he knew you and he knows you today. He's present with you right now. And he wants to give you the benefits of the glory that he has that his father has, and that is for your benefit, as Jesus said to those that were gathered around that day. Maybe you're here uh, this morning, you're a Christian, but you're worried about the virus and what would happen if you died. Well, one of the things that's happened is that through Jesus, um, he's already died for you. So death is just really a transition from the physical, to the mortal, to the immortality. You really don't have to be afraid. Now, in our natural mind and hearts, we all think about it. What would happen if I died and got this virus that's just so terrible and so many people are being affected by it? But if you can just lift your 
thinking and your heart above all the threats that are presently around us and lift them to the cross. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, all women, everyone. I will draw you above the fear of death and dying for any cause, um, COVID-19 or any cause, because I have paid the price for your eternal salvation. I was judged for your sin. I rose for your eternal life, and you will be with me someday in heaven. Let me pray. Lord, for every person who is a follower of you today, uh, I pray, Lord, for your grace to be so richly upon them as we come into this holy week. And we think of your passion, of your suffering, of your death, of your resurrection. And, and we know that, uh, Lord, for every believer, this is a very special time of year that we just love to get together. We love to worship. We love to sing the songs of the cross and of the resurrection. We love to lift our voices in praise in, in, a, in an atmosphere where everyone is present and to receive communion, to break bread together, to drink wine together, uh, to celebrate your death and resurrection, your body and your blood. And, and Lord, we just uh, lament the fact that that is not possible for us to be together in that manner this year. But we thank you that there is a common spirit, the Holy Spirit, who resides and dwells within every believer, which connects us to you, which then connects us to each other, though not physically, for sure, um, in heart and mind and spirit. And so, Lord, I pray for every believer listening today that you will encourage them, cause them to lift up their countenances unto you and to see that you are our help. And for any that are listening that they've tried everything, they believe in you, you were a great teacher, yes, a religious leader, yes, but all of those things don't save them. The only thing that saves them is the cross and embracing you as saviors, the one who took judgment for their sin upon yourself. And I pray, oh God, for uh, persons who are not uh, truly followers of you, that today would be a beginning for them, a beginning of a journey of faith. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to um, close with some songs. I'm going to ask you to uh, share uh, worship. This uh, next song that we'll be playing is very very appropriate to this season. And uh, just to remind you again, tomorrow at 7, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at 7 o'clock, we'll, we'll be having messages come from this church and then again next Sunday morning at uh, 10.30. So may God bless you. May God keep you. May the benefits of his glory rest upon you. I pray in the name of Jesus. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray 
Oh, say.